Um, and so with that, I'll just go ahead and jump straight into what we're talking about today. So if you are unfamiliar with what we have been talking about this, I was going to say semester, but I guess that still stands. Um, we are going through, the reason semester is funny is because I'm a, I work for the college ministry, so my life does not work in normal months, just semesters. Um, we are working through the 12 minor prophets, and today we are hopping into Jonah. And this is kind of a shift in direction from Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah, because those are the places where the Lord was focusing on Israel, whether that was calling them to repentance or letting them know, like, hey, I've seen how these people have treated you, like, my justice will prevail. And instead, in Jonah, we get God talking about the nations and saying, this is who I am when it comes to the rest of the world. And I think our temptation when reading Jonah, because it's something that I think a lot of us are familiar with, for me personally, something comes up and it's just like, oh, mission, like I have to be a better Christian, I gotta go to my enemies. Um, but this idea of mission, this idea of evangelism is also very new to Israel in this sense too, of like, they've been called to like welcome the outsider, welcome the foreigner, but I don't know how often they were encouraged to like go out to them. And so not only do we have this shift in direction where the Lord is saying, I'm looking out, and he's saying, but he's saying, I also want you to look out. And so with that, we're going to jump into chapter 4, read and read verses 1 through 10. If you would like to stand with me, that would be great. It'll be on the screen if you need it as well. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is right, he replied. I am angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I ask that you... Um, would be in this space, that, Lord, you would use me, that your spirit would speak the truth of your character, um, that it would touch the parts um, that we so often say, like, no, you can't have that. Um, Lord, would Jonah serve as a reminder of your character? In your name that I pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, so this feels like maybe a weird spot to jump into. Um, summary of what's happened in Jonah. Jonah has been like, God was like, go talk to the Ninevites. Jonah was like, no, I don't want to. They're mean. I don't like them. And so he flees. A storm comes. He gets thrown overboard. Um, a fish comes and eats him. He relents and says, okay, I'll do what you want me to do. God says again, go talk to the Ninevites. He goes and says, very simply, 
in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. There is no introduction of Yahweh or how to prevent it. He just says it's going to happen. But Nineveh, through God's grace and compassion, receives, like, receives salvation, receives, like, there is no more destruction coming their way. Um, the whole country repents, repents, and so then that's why we're dropped in here in chapter 4 of Jonah being really upset and saying, like, why would you do that? I knew you were going to do that, and that's why I didn't want to do it in the first place. I really don't like these people. Why is this happening? Um, and for me, as I already said, like, Jonah is a really familiar passage, and so as I was preparing, I was kind of trying to not necessarily look at it through new new eyes. One time Jonathan said, like, don't stress about finding something new because if you do, it's probably a heresy. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, what is this passage? Um, I asked myself the same questions I ask when I'm studying scripture on my own, which is, what is this passage trying to teach us about God? What is this passage trying to teach us about ourselves? And what, how does this passage point us to Jesus? Um, and so feels weird, but I'm almost going to start at the conclusion of where does this passage like show us about God? And we see this in the last question that God asked Jonah, which is in verse 11, but may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people? Like God is asking the question, am I not allowed to be compassionate? Why are you trying to take that from me? And we see here that God not only delights in showing compassion, but I, he actually prefers it. We, we love God's justice. We do love his compassion when it's for us, but like overall, God is not a God who wants to bring down the hammer, but he is a God who delights in showing compassion. Um, we see this in Romans 9, verses 14 through 18. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. This is referring to Exodus 33, and so we see this in Exodus, we see this in Jonah, we see this in Romans, we see this all throughout scripture that God is saying, I don't understand why you want me to destroy all these people, I would like to show compassion to the world, and I also want to invite you to show compassion too. We are, like, we are invited to experience this self-sacrificing love of the Trinity, the thing that says, we are compassionate towards each other, and so we want to show the world compassion, and I want to show you compassion so that you can show the world compassion. And I'm like, that's great. That's a great sermon. All right, we're done. Over. <laughs> easy, easy peasy message, right? Um, but if it was that simple, I don't think we'd have a whole book where Jonah was trying to flee from the Lord's compassion. And so we do have to ask that second question of what is this passage trying to teach us about man? Why do we try to reject either God's compassion towards us or try to deflect his compassion towards other people? Or really, I honestly don't think we think where Jonah starts to lose it for some of us is I don't think any of us would really say we hate somebody. I, I think it's weird for us to be like, oh, this is my enemy. I want them to perish. Like, I don't think I would ever say, oh, I don't want God to show his compassion to people. But I would say that I'm indifferent a lot of times. I have my people. I have the places I love. I have UAB, which I like, but the places that are hard to get to, like, God will show his compassion, but he won't use it through me. And so what is this teaching? And so I think that's why we have to kind of redirect and look at what is this trying to show this what is this trying to tell me about myself and so three play things that i pulled out where um, our rejection of god's compassion comes from our knowledge giving us a false sense of control our pride blinding us um, and our anger being the thing that validates us 
And so we look in verse one or two of Jonah four, and it says, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. Jonah is very familiar with the character of God. He's been given a prophecy before. I'm pretty sure it didn't come out, but like he's been considered a trusted voice in some places. And so he knows a lot about God. He knows, he understands God's character. Um, and so therefore he decides, well, if I know how God's going to react, then I get to decide how I'm going to react. I know for myself, this past year has been really difficult and really anxiety driven because I'm like, oh, if I collect enough knowledge, then nobody will be, ever be able to tell me that I'm wrong. And so I start to build this worldview around how many books I've read, how many articles I participated in, how many Preston Sprinkles podcasts I listen to because I say that this knowledge tells me more about God than God does. This knowledge affirms me and affirms what I believe more than just actually listening to who God is, like who God is and who God's asking me to be and who God's asking me to speak to. And so through our knowledge giving us this false sense of control, we can kind of, we can build up this pride that says, I know what's best. Like I know, I know who you deserve to show compassion to because I see it in here. I think we can use scripture a lot. I mean, you could talk, if you want to look at scripture and pull out all the bad things, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to twist this and manipulate it to fulfill your own agenda instead of it speaking to who God is. And so we let our pride distract us, move us away from the hard stuff, the, um, I'm going to find it. It's there. Uh, We let our pride just say, like, it's not worth it. Like, Lord, you can show your compassion to who you want to show them to, but you don't have to use me. Because I know that you are a compassionate God. I know that you will do what you want to do. And so if you're going to do what you want to do, go ahead, but don't use me in the process. And so, um, sorry. Um, (laughs) I, again, like I said, towards the beginning, kind of coming back to this idea of, I don't think it's easy for us to say that we hate anybody or that we're angry at anybody, but I do think we let our pride say that we're indifferent towards a lot of people. I, when I was thinking about where does this feel the most real for me um, in ministry, there are just certain people, um, I've, students who, Um, I used to think like really loved the Lord and walked with him um, who have turned and like said like no never mind like I don't believe in God and I see like and I see them hurting and I see them wrestling or I don't see them doing that either I think they said like you know what I'm done with this and I'm gonna throw it to the side and I look at them and I love them and I'm really excited but I say no 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 that's too hard like Lord you talk to them before you'll talk to them again like I just I, I have so many other things to deal with you've called me to so many other students and it's like my pride says like I don't have time and that feels that feels really crummy to say I'm like why am I saying this right now it feels terrible to say that that feels too hard and I don't want to do it like I think there's this really popular, it's not even popular, it's a really true movement of people being like, the church has hurt me, the church has said terrible things, the church hasn't explained these things. And so instead of my heart moving towards compassion, my heart moves towards, well, like you should be better at figuring out what's true and not true. I figured it out on my own, so you should be able to figure it out on your own too. And that is like, 
I think we're worse than Jonah in that way. At least Jonah was able to say, like, straight up to God, like, you shouldn't save these people. So why are you bothering with me? I just think we just don't think about it anymore. We say, well, I have other friends. I have other community. I'll pray for them, but they'll, they'll figure it out on their own. And so we have this knowledge that this knowledge that gives us this false sense of control. We have this pride that says, I can decide what I want to do, and therefore I don't have to look at the hard things. And then we have this anger that chooses to valid, that we choose to let validate us. Um, Kyle kind of talked about this last week when he was talking about Obadiah, this idea that if we're not angry anymore, then was any of it ever real? Um, in Obadiah, they talk about how the Edomites, like, the Edomites, like, rejoiced in Israel's fall. Um, and we have here in Jonah, like, the Ninevites were not great people. They were really destructive people, really chaotic people, people um, who just cared about destruction. Um, and I think Jonah fears that if I forgive them, if I move towards them, then they get all of the good stuff. And, it, and then what was the point of what was the point of all of the pain and destruction that it was caused? And as I was thinking and processing, I was like, oh, Jonah is mad because his people have been hurt. And I think that is a valid anger. Um, but he, he says that he believes in a God that's compassionate and a God that has hope. And s- let me see if I can figure out how do I want to explain this. I feel like I should already have had the thought out. But like, if the people of Nineveh turn and repent to the Lord, it's not just like, oh, they get all of the good stuff, they get all of the grace. They are also called to the same restorative justice that the people of Israel are called to. They are called to not only repentance to the Lord, but repentance to the people that they, like, that they hurt. Jonah's anger validates him right now, but it eliminates all of the hope for change that could have come in the future that says, like, why do we not think that people can be redemptive? Why do we think that people can't be restored? I'm, like, trying to to figure out how to explain. Like, God is, like, I see how Nineveh has, like, hurt hurt my people and I could destroy them and you guys could just live with the consequences of the pain and the pain that they've inflicted but I actually want to do something bigger here I want to have them redeemed and restored towards you guys as well um and so he lets his anger be the thing that keeps him moving forward that gives him purpose and direction but that anger doesn't just stay towards Nineveh that anger starts to bleed out everywhere else this plant dies and he's like very upset about it he's like I'd rather die um I want to die because this plant is dead which feels like a little bit of an overreaction <laughs> um <laughs> it feel I'm like oh it's hot but you, it's, it's not like as someone who has to stand outside in the hot a lot like it's not that hot um but the idea that like our sin, I said this when we did Jonah last year, but like our sin does not happen in a vacuum. I can't just choose to be apathetic or um, avoidant of a people or angry at a people or angry at something that God has called me to and just expect it to stay in that little container. It starts to bleed and spread into um, how I talk to God. It starts to bleed into my job. It starts to bleed into how other people perceive God. I think about in chapter one, when Jonah flees the first time and the sailors on the boat have to decide whether or not they're going to throw him overboard, the next thing they say is like, 
please God, don't hold this against us that we have to maybe murder this man. And Jonah's sin is inviting other people to sin. And so because, and so because of that, we are, we are, and because of that, we, um, and because of that, we, I don't know where that thought was going. Okay, <laughs> but our sin does not happen in a vacuum, and therefore the grace and compassion that we experience from God also does not happen in a vacuum. When we look at commentaries and we look at this passage, I think people are constantly trying to figure out, are we Jonah? Are we Nineveh? Are we Israel? Is Jonah Nineveh? Is Jonah Israel? Like, who is who in the story? Who are we supposed to connect to the most? But honestly, this is just a show, story showing us that we are all objects of God's activity, that we are all recipients of God's grace and mercy and compassion, and the same compassion that he wants to show to the Ninevites, he wants to show to Israel, he wants to show to Jonah, he wants to show to us. And this compassion, we cannot run from. Our knowledge cannot stop it. Our pride cannot like, cause us to be blind to it from ever. Our anger cannot satisfy us in the same way that the Lord's compassion can too. Jonah tried to flee. He tried to escape it. He tries to go someplace else, and he tries to go to Tarshish and says, like, this will be safe from the Lord. But no, like, the Lord is there. He tries to be angry. He tries to point out to God, this is where your compassion fails. This is where it does not make sense. This isn't where it lines up. Um, and yet, God says, but I am here. And so then he goes into the pits of hell, whether that's the belly of the fish, or you can call Nineveh his own pits of hell, or right outside Nineveh is like his pits of hell. And yet the Lord says, like, I am still here. God is constantly pushing further and further in. And in a world where we constantly are asking, why, how can a good God let evil things happen? God is constantly saying, I'm trying to show my compassion to the world through my people. Um, and so if we believe all of scripture, if we believe that God is who he claims to be, then that does something to us. It motivates us to act and respond. Um, when we let the Lord speak to these places, this anger, this pride, this knowledge, to challenge what we believe about him, um, to surrender the anger, to let our pride die, he starts to unpack. And, it, and I just, I can't move away from like the Lord loves us just the way we are and too much to let us stay this way. One of the things I realized when I was reading this is that Noah, or not Noah, Jonah builds a shelter um, and sits in the shade to see what happens. But that shelter obviously wasn't sufficient enough if he needed a plant to also give him shade. Um, and so when we try to use our anger, our pride, um, our knowledge, all of those things are insufficient to what God has for us. All of those things, um, um, I'm really sorry. All of these things are nothing compared to the compassion that God th shows us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that is what this passage does in pointing us to Christ. In Matthew 12, 41, it says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. It feels like all of the things I said were really disjointed and a little discombobulated. And so I guess if I had to say like, this is the most important thing, this is the most important thing. 
that Jonah barely preached, and yet there was repentance, and now we have something greater than Jonah, something that has been demonstrated and given over and over and over again, um, that God that God says that he is a compassionate and forgiving, a God who will allow us to be swallowed by a fish um, in order that we may know that he is trying to do something bigger than what we see him for. Um, he brings this all together at the communion table. And like through the cross, we realize that we were redeemed from the destruction that our sin tries to bring upon us, tries to bring upon the world. And we realize that we were redeemed from that and we were redeemed to be the demonstration of um, God's glory and compassion to this world. We are, the God see, we are the evidence that God sees you. I was talking to a student one time and she was sharing about how she was in a class and they were discussing why does God allow um, bad things happen. And she just had this like really intense like word, vision from the Lord, whatever you want to call it, where um, she said, um, I just, the Lord was telling me over and it's like, my people will not go. And so it's really easy to, <clears throat> it's really easy to read Jonah and say like, okay, well, I need to do better. I need to be better. My legalism mindset says, okay, like, all right, I will die to all of these things. But really, I, I do need to come to the table. I do need God to speak into these places. The, I, if I could do it on my own, if I could build these shelters on my own, it would have already happened. Um, and so with that, I'm going to invite the band back up. At the table, we are presented with a joyful prophetic voice um, who suffers at the hand of an unrighteous nation, um, yet does not speak in anger to his calling, but speaks on our behalf and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The wounds he experiences allows us to be healed and returns to his overwhelming, never let us go, like, overseer of our soul. We're going to stand and say the confession of sin together, um, and then we'll, I'll allow you, not allow, but we're going to take communion on our own. Um, there's a lot in this passage, a lot of searching and seeking and figuring out the places where we rub against God and say, like, God, you can't tell me what to do. God, you can't touch this part of me. And so I think at this moment to, like, take the elements and sit and process through and say, Lord, seek my heart. Where are these shelters that I'm trying to build and allow, like, and say, like, Lord, I surrender it to you, um, is to take time and experience the compassion of the body and the blood. And so I'm going to pray. <laughs> um, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit and how it speaks through confusion. Um, I thank you that you are a God um, who never lets us go, um, who does not let us flee, but says, I delight in showing compassion, that you are a God that says, that you are a God that says, why should I not show compassion? That you care um, enough about us to love us the way we are and too much to let us stay this way, Lord, that you are constantly trying to bring our vision and our eyes to your cross and speak a better word, speak a more life-giving word, uh, speak a word that's not, um, yeah, that's not trapped in the uncertainties 
of life or the uncertainties of, did I do this right? But Lord, um, a life that says, okay, Lord, you got it. A knowledge that is comforting, um, a knowledge that um, points us to repentance and faith. And so, yeah, Lord, I pray that um, your word would speak, um, would speak that for